0: Lord, we're grateful that you invite us to quiet our hearts and our minds and our souls before you. You invite us to be still and to know that you indeed are God. There are so many things that make noise in our world. Father, we see, whether it's social media or television or the news, or just the culture around us so much noise that it's too easy to forget that you love to speak to us in that still small voice so god i pray tonight that you would help us to quiet our minds to quiet our hearts and to listen to you may you speak to us from your word i pray In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, with the death of Jehu, we started to see the deterioration, really kind of the the snowball effect, right? The the nation of Israel in the north had been going downhill for a while. The nation of Judah in the south had kind of joined in. Uh, the, The person we're going to see become king before we're done tonight actually does a really good job under the tutelage there's a word we don't use enough tutelage of Jehoiada the priest um, and there's going to be a period of revival and we're going to see this back and forth a few times as we continue where the Israel just keeps getting worse and worse and worse uh, the southern kingdom will get a good king and they'll do well for a while and then they'll get a bad king and they'll go down the drain kind of like the cycle that we saw in the book of Judges and so last week we looked at uh basically jehu doing what god had called him to do which was to destroy the entire family of jehu and and he went so far as to not just kill the family but to kill acquaintances and anybody who you know had a i voted for jehu bumper sticker or whatever it might be he just he just went after everybody he ridded 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 the nation of them then through a little bit of deception he kills all the worshipers of baal they tear down that temple that ahab and jezebel had built for this um, false god and turned it into a bathroom and not one of those nice bathrooms you know with tile and a bidet and a a jacuzzi tub no the, the kind of like you know when you go camping where there's no actual facilities. It was a pit toilet. With the death of Jehu and the death of Ahaziah, because Jehu had killed Ahaziah, who was the king in Judah, Ahaziah's mom, being the sweet, gentle woman that she was, decided she was going to try to keep the kingdom together. 2nd Kings chapter 11. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she cried her eyes out for the death of her son. No, your Bible doesn't say that, right? She arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. We're going to stop there for one moment. think You have to think of who she was killing. She was killing her own grandchildren. Or... Uh, even though jehu had killed all of ahaziah's brothers all the brothers that went up north if there were any other relatives she killed them all she murdered her own grandchildren in an attempt to take the throne sweetheart huh you know i don't i don't think this is the type of grandma you're going to see in her her little rocking chair with her her knitting needles making blankets for these kids no she might have taken the knitting needles and stabbed them all but she just wasn't that kind of grandma. Keep in mind, she was, of course, very much related to Jezebel and Ahab. She was their daughter. But Jehosheba the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash from among the king's sons who were being murdered, and they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So she, he was hidden with her In the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. So we're going to find out that this young boy was about a year old. Now, Jehoshaphat was Ahaziah's sister. Chances are she was somehow related to Athaliah whether it was just I mean it was she was at least related by marriage but she may have been because of the way they did marriage back then she may very well have been um, another child from a different woman perhaps from Ahab or something of that nature we don't know but Jehoshaphat sees her at the very least sister-in-law murdering all the king's sons and she grabs Joash And she stole him away. She runs to the temple where the priests hide her and the kid for six years. Now we're going to see in verse 4 that he's seven years old when everything else starts to take place. So he was about a year old when this took place. Now, I want you to keep something very interesting, an interesting thought. And this, I wish it had come for me, but uh, it comes for Pastor Chuck. If Athaliah had succeeded, the line of David would have been broken. Way back in 1 Samuel, or no, 2 Samuel, sorry, 2 Samuel, around chapter 6, 7, when David has it in his heart to build a house for the Lord, God says, no, you're a man of war, you can't do it, your son can do it, but it's not going to be you. He goes, however, I will build you a house. And there will not fail to sit a man of of your descendants on your throne forever. Now, ultimately... Uh, God abided by that until Judah got so bad that he finally let them go into captivity. Uh, But it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy of the Messiah. If Athaliah had succeeded, David's line would have been broken. But one kid, who's a year old, God preserved. Isaiah 40, verse 6 through 8. A voice says cry. listening to a course um, on nonviolent communication I don't know if you've ever heard of nonviolent communication the the author and researcher behind this course is uh, a nice very non-religious Jewish guy named Marshall Rosenberg he has the coolest voice ever I like listening to him because he's his voice is very relaxing um, and he writes funny songs to go along <laughs> with his outlook. Uh, I don't agree with everything he does, or with everything he says, because there are there are some premises for his his research that um, are not in line with Scripture. But the process itself of nonviolent communication is, is very, very interesting. Um, one of the things that he brings up is that we all have a choice which I think is true, right? We are given free will. And he told a story of a, uh, he does a lot of work in the Middle East of of a man who said that a soldier pointed a gun at him and told him to take his clothes off. And he goes, what choice did I have in that? Marshall said, did you take your clothes off? Well, no. He goes, well, clearly you had a choice. You didn't take your clothes off. And he said, then the soldier had a choice and he didn't shoot you. Or he was a really bad shot but we all have a choice what i love about that is god does give us freedom our prayers make a difference right our prayers move and work as god works in and through us i love that our choices have consequences good and bad right they all do and I'm not going to, I don't want to take away from any of that, but the fact of the matter is this. Whatever God wants to happen is going to happen, <laughs> because he's still God. I think what usually happens if we make wrong choices is we miss out on what God would have for us. But in the end, God's going to get his way. Have you ever thought about, and this is this is just kind of a, and I'm going to stop, I promise. We'll pick up in verse 4. Um, but have you ever thought about the idea that when we get upset because we don't get what we want, what we may really be getting upset about is the fact that we're not God? I, I don't, I, I just let your, you know, your, your, you you're. can think about that when you're trying to fall asleep later. Um, but But there's a reality to it. I mean, sin, it's... Its origin, uh, you know, if you go back before Adam and Eve, was Satan's attempt to become God, to take the throne of God, to exalt himself above his own creator. Well, whenever we're disobedient or whenever we don't get something we want or, or whatever it might be, we may very well be upset because, well, I, I want whatever I want and I want it when I want it, and who is God to keep it from me? So that just means that we're upset because we're not God. So you can, you can chew on that for a while. I'm sorry if, if it hurts your brain. Or you could completely disagree with it. I don't know. Uh, it just kind of popped into my head. I thought it was an interesting thought. And so I shared it. Verse 4. In the seventh year... Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Then he commanded them saying, this is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One third shall be at the gate of Sir and one third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep watch of the house lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath, with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of the hundreds the spears and shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escort stood every man with his weapons in his hand all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar and the house. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, long Live the king I've always found it interesting when a monarch dies um, that they always say like when Queen Elizabeth died and and Prince Charles um, became King Charles uh, you would say the queen is dead long live the king or the king is dead long live the king I don't know I find it interesting so we have this Jehoiada guy he is, uh, I am, he's a priest. We're not told that he's the high priest, but I'm guessing with the kind of authority that he had and the loyalty that everybody shows him, um, he was most likely high priest. And he takes Joash, your Bible may say Jehoash, just depends. Um, and he sets him up, he sets up a guard for him, puts the crown on him and anoints him king. And then they gave him the testimony really they gave him a copy of the law now in deuteronomy chapter 17 picking up in verse 18 we read this and when he speaking of the king sits on the throne of his kingdom he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the levitical priests so it wasn't just that he had to write a copy of the law but his copy had to be approved so he couldn't you know change a commandment right if he got to exodus 20 and went you thou shalt not i want to commit adultery so i'm just gonna i'm not gonna put that one in then the levitical priests come around and take no put it back and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the lord his god by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes "...and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." So God knew, way back in Deuteronomy, that before they ever entered the land, that eventually they would ask for a king, which we see in 1 Samuel. And the king had some very specific laws. Besides having to write their own copy of, really, the law, they also were not allowed to multiply uh, wives, they weren't allowed to multiply horses, and they weren't allowed to multiply gold. Right? So they, not one of them did a good job with any of it. And to be honest, this is the first time that we see a king given the law of the Lord at his coronation they all should have been so we can maybe assume that they were but this is the first time it's recorded for us and I find that very very fascinating Um, there's never been a time when God has not valued his word greatly there is a passage in the Psalms and I'm going to attempt to find it but I always forget where it's at I know it's in the hundreds I mean that that narrows it down to about 50 psalms right but there is a passage in the psalms where God through the psalmist or sorry the psalmist says of God I'll, I'll change the order there a little bit but he says of God you have magnified your word above all your name And I thought it might be Psalm 103, but that's okay. My wife's going to look it up and I'll give you the verse later (laughs) here in a moment. But you have magnified your word above all your name. And when we start exploring the idea of God's word and we get to a place like John where the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and all things were created by him right and the word became flesh and dwelt among us we are told the logos or the logos however you want to pronounce it is jesus christ the very expression of who god is and then that gets taken back to all of scripture this that we hold in front of us whether you're you have a a king james or a new king james or an niv or an nasb or an nlt or an esv Or uh, keep going with all the letters it's the word of God and God has told us that he takes this so seriously that he has magnified it above his own name then when you think about that Jesus has been given the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Yet he has magnified his word above all his name. When we look at the problems in our world, yeah, I mean, we can, we can chalk it up pretty simply. Well, you know, people are sinful. Yeah, duh. We are. But when we look at the, the, the falling apart of the family, the corruption in government, the, the wars, and, and just all the other stuff that we see in our world, You know, we can pinpoint when it happened. About 70, 75 years ago, give or take, after World War II, the word of God stopped having its place. Stopped having its place in the church. Stopped having its place in people's lives. Now, it was a slow start, but it did start back then. And it's just snowballed. And if the nation of Israel is any indication... Of what happens when you begin to ignore the word of God? It's not going to be all that surprising to see what happens. Did you all hear about the shooting at the the Kansas um, so the Kansas City Chiefs? I guess won the Super Bowl. Good for them. Uh, I saw a great meme, and my daughter loves it when I explain memes to everybody. It makes her so happy, but it was a great meme where one person says to the other, you know, I didn't get to watch it. Do you know who won the Super Bowl? And the other person said, you did, because you didn't watch the Super Bowl. (laughs) That made me laugh. And I got nothing against the Super Bowl. I, you know, I I love watching sports. Um, I I just don't have live TV, or I might have turned it on. Uh, But anyways, the Kansas City Chiefs got home, and they had their victory parade going through downtown Kansas City. And two people showed up and started shooting. One person was killed, as far as I know. Multiple people were injured, and the two people were taken into custody. But I'm looking at your faces because it's the same face I made. It's not a surprise anymore. Isn't that sad? We should should be just as horrified by it as we were, I I guess, the first one that really started it was Columbine. But we should be horrified by it. But we're like, well, there's another one. It's sad. Verse 13. Read the Bible, folks. (laughs) That's the point I was trying to make. I probably could have made it a little quicker, but that's the point I was getting at. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king, standing by a pillar according to custom. And the leaders and the trumpeters... Whereby the king, all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, treason, treason. She must have had a very high opinion of herself to think that when she murdered all her grandchildren and the rightful heir to the throne, that wasn't treason. But letting the rightful heir of the throne take the kingdom was treason. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and she went by way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. Well, she had it all for six years, didn't she? Except for grandchildren. She had it all for six years. And it's it's curious to me. They say... that people get the leadership they deserve. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's always true because I don't know what you all did to get me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but you see it happen and then you see people with their voting and, and the businesses they're involved in and whatnot. Um, but man, her story is, is so fascinating to me. I don't know why it always strikes me. Um, but gosh, she could have had a long life. She could have been supporting her grandchild that sat on the throne. She could have been... Oh, it it could have been better. It could have been better. Verse 17. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down, right? So Jehu tore down the temple that had been built in the north. Now we find out that a temple to Baal had been built in Judah as well. So they all went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars and the priest-appointed officers over the house of Yahweh. Then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land— And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the king's. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. It would appear that Athaliah's reign was not popular since everybody has a party when they find out she's dead. Uh, So he makes a covenant, Jehoiada makes a covenant between the king and God and the people, and then between the king and the people. Now, really what he was doing was reaffirming the covenant. Because Jehoiada, high priest or not, did not have the authority to make a covenant between God and the people, or between God and the king. But God had made a covenant between himself and the people, and himself and the king. And this was a reaffirmation of that covenant. And with that, Joash is established as king, returning the people to worshiping Yahweh or Jehovah. So we see uh, that Athaliah had built a temper a temper, a temple for Baal, and she took articles from the house of God for this temple. When revival breaks out in Judah, she's dead. They, break, they tear this thing down. Then they uh, return all of these articles to the house of the Lord, which I really think is kind of, it's the start of a revival. Uh, when we get to chapter 12 in three weeks, um, so you'll have something to look forward to, though I encourage you to read ahead. Uh, in the, it'll be in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Um, and as it goes on in, the, in his 23rd year as king, so when he's 30 years old, um, he begins to make repairs to the temple, restoring it. There's, there's all kinds of good stuff that happens. Full-blown revival. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But I want to stop for a moment, and I want to talk about covenants. Because I find covenants to be very interesting. Throughout the Bible, God has confirmed covenants with multiple people. And each of those covenants had, or would have had, if they hadn't been replaced by the next one, uh, an effect on us. The first covenant is the covenant he made with Adam. I'm going to put you in the garden. I'm going to give you a wife. You tend the garden. You be fruitful and multiply. right? And you get to be here in the garden. That was the covenant. Well, they blew it. So we call that the Adamic covenant. Basically, they just took names and put Ick after it. (laughs) I'm dead serious. This is is why I'm not a scholar, because it's dumb. Um, Noah. What was Noah's covenant? You build a boat. I will preserve you. And then after he got off the boat, God furthered the command, uh, the covenant by giving him the first, really the first law, other than, you know, don't eat the tree, uh, which was that, uh, uh, that of capital punishment, that you could kill a murderer, right? That that was just. The Noahic covenant. Then Abraham comes along. The Abrahamic covenant. If you believe in me, If you follow me, I will give your descendants this land. And you will be my people, and I will be your God. And you go to Genesis 15, and it says Abraham believed God, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And then Paul, in the book of Romans, expands on that greatly in chapter 4 and 5, how then Abraham is our father of faith because he was the first one to believe. And by believing, I mean Noah believed, Adam believed, but he was the first one that by faith... He was made righteous, not by his works. Abrahamic covenant passed to Isaac and Jacob, but it remained the Abrahamic covenant unto Jacob's descendants, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And then they went into captivity. They spent 400 and some years in Egypt, and Moses led them out. God made a covenant. Some say, some don't. It depends. Some say that there's a a covenant between, that God made a covenant with Moses before he made the law, which was the next covenant. Some say that the law is the Mosaic covenant. Some people like to split them. Some people don't. Um, It just depends. Uh, So if God, if you say that God made a covenant with Noah at the burning bush, right, you go to Egypt and I'll use you to lead the people out. And then he replaced the Mosaic covenant with the Levitical covenant, which is the law. Have I lost anybody yet? A little bit? Some people say that Moses, the Mosaic covenant, includes the law. Some people say it doesn't. That's the simple way to put it. But whatever the case, Moses leads them out, makes the covenant of the law the covenant that the Jewish nation lived under until Jesus' death and resurrection. That is why John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet, because he was a prophet. Under the old covenant, preparing the way for the Messiah. Somewhere in there, God made a covenant with David. Now, the fun thing about the covenant with David is the covenant with David did not replace the law, but it was a covenant that would be in effect after the law, the promised Messiah. So, there is what we call the Davidic covenant, that promise that God made to David that his descendant would sit on the throne of Israel forever. Now, throughout the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, the the law, the Levitical law, there was a condition that God would do everything he promised for them as long as they kept the law. And we have to get out of our head that there's anything wrong with the law. The law is actually perfect. As As you go through the New Testament, Paul makes that case on multiple occasions. The law is perfect. And the law can still be used if one uses it lawfully, Um, 1st or 2nd Timothy, um, or Titus. It's one of the pastoral epistles. Uh, But the law can be used as long as it's used lawfully. And what that means is, is the point of the law under the new covenant is not that we keep the law to be saved, but the law convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin according to the righteous standard of the law. That's the better way to put it. So there's nothing wrong with the law. Think of the Ten Commandments. They're perfect, right? The first four give us an outline of our relationship with God. The the other six give us an outline of our relationship with other people. And the law is good. But what was the problem with the law? People couldn't keep it. And some people have said that God did that and it was unfair. Well, why would God give them a law and tell them they had to keep the law if they wanted to go to heaven? But then it's impossible to do. That's not fair. Sure it is. Because human beings, for all of history, have always had the same idea. That if we're good enough, if we're smart enough, we're going to figure this out on our own. We can save ourselves. We can make ourselves better. So on and so forth. And God had to show us that we couldn't. Because when we find out we can't, then we can come to the one who did it for us. This is why we need Jesus. Romans 8.3 For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Because of Jesus, we can be saved. That's not part of the verse. I wrote that. Right? Because of Jesus, we can be saved. And we can now make God the first priority in our lives and the only object of our worship. <clears throat> and we can let go of the silly idea that we can do it on our own. This is the beauty of the new covenant prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 and multiple other places. This is just one of my favorites. <clears throat> Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. How does he do that? By the Holy Spirit. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In Luke 22, 19 and 20, uh, we're going to turn to Hebrews 8, so if you want to join me there real quick. In Luke 22, 19 and 20, uh, when Jesus established the Lord's Supper, We read, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Hebrews 8. (laughs) I like, you looked at me, and I knew you you didn't hear me quite right. Hebrews chapter 8. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Now, if you've done a better job than me because I was trying to read while finding Hebrews chapter 8 in my Bible, you may already be there. But in Hebrews chapter 8, this is laid out for us so beautifully. And if you want a really detailed account of it, feel free to go back and listen to it from the Hebrews study uh, that we did. Gosh, it had to be back in 21 when we were in Hebrews. Does that sound right? Or maybe it was 22? It was a while ago. Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them he says behold the days are coming says the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and the house of judah hey he's quoting jeremiah not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in the day when i took them out of the land or took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be their, my people. And none of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to the unrighteous or to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more now you might think in the back of your head wait a second that's not exactly what we just read in Jeremiah keep in mind uh, Paul was probably quoting the Septuagint version of the Old Testament which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew probably in that verse 13 he says a new covenant he has made the first obsolete now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away now we're going to go to chapter 9 and we're going to pick up in verse 11 but christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god and for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who were called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance and there's a lot more detail in in the rest in other parts of chapter nine but i didn't want to get into that uh, like I said feel free to go read or go listen to the studies from chapter 8 and 9 when we went through Hebrews but the point is this the old covenant was given to point us to Jesus Christ Paul brings this up in Galatians uh, I believe it's chapter 3 but he brings this up that that the old covenant the law was our tutor it was our schoolmaster showing us that we can't do it on our own and we need Jesus. Because what we can't do, He did. Now, if you take that simple thought, what we can't do, He did, or what we can't do, He can, boy, that opens a lot of doors in our lives, doesn't it? It takes a lot of pressure off of us. It means we don't have to try to perform to make God love us more. And it means our salvation. It's not reliant upon us being perfect now i'm not saying we shouldn't seek to live a life of holiness by the power of the holy spirit and guidance of god's word we absolutely should we don't use grace as an excuse to sin that's romans chapter six but even when we do something dumb he loves us and that's the wonder of the gospel As we close the chapter out, we have a seven-year-old boy sitting on the throne of Israel, or Judah, sorry. Chances are he was a bit of a vassal king for a while. Um, We will get into his 40-year reign next week. Now, a 40-year reign sounds kind of impressive, but when you take the throne at seven, it really isn't. He died at 47 years old. He died when he was my wife's age and my age to say that a little quieter uh, but that'll be in a couple weeks so uh yeah please pray for the wellness fest and gather for prayer in two weeks and we'll get back into second kings uh really in the beginning of march uh let's pray lord we love you and i pray that we would hold your word with the same respect that you have asked us to And pray, Father, that you would give us grace for the times we mess up and that you would give us mercy and that you would guide us and that you would lead us, Father. Your law and so many other things have shown us that we were not meant to do this alone. We were not meant to try to earn anything. But what we were meant to do was to fall at your feet and surrender our lives to you wholly and completely and to trust that you will then take our lives and do with them what will glorify you and what will bring abundant life to us. So Father, I pray for that. Be with us the rest of our week. Guide us. Watch over us protect my boy who's down in belize and all those folks were traveling with him and uh be glorified in all we do in jesus name amen